The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. The reading is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Um, The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you've shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. And then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Look, you need to know something. You need to know that you could kill. You are capable of murder. All right. And the sooner that you accept that about yourself, the better. Now, here is here's a picture of me speaking at a, a student conference called P2C Plus, which happened last December in Toronto. Um, now, not long before this photo was taken, when Heather and I actually got to the hotel, we walked through the parking lot with our luggage and the kids and uh, somebody in a big black SUV came tearing through the parking lot driveway, nearly hit Heather and the kids. And our arms were full of luggage. And I was I was angry by that immediately, just just ticked. And um, and he stopped. And then his reverse lights came on and he was up. He couldn't see over his over the his tail tailgate. But he was about to back over uh, Jamie and Stella and and, uh, and Maggie. He, and he had no idea. But, but he needed to back up, I guess, cause, so that he could turn around or whatever. But uh, I was furious and I could see what was about to happen. So and my arms were full of suitcases. So I wound up with my dock boots and I hoofed his bumper so that he would stop. Well, he immediately threw his car in the park. He gets out, he's yelling and swearing and threatening me. And the kids heard some pretty colorful threats and language here, there. Um, but he, he, you know, he's yelling at me. And I immediately, like, I was angry and I yelled back at him. 
hey, dude, why don't you get back in your car? Why don't you take some deep breaths before you make a big mistake? Like, I remember, I remember saying that. I did. Um, and so, like, I'm at nine with this guy, almost 10. And, and that could have gone south really easily. Like, if he had come up and, you know, if he had stepped up to me, I know that could have gone really bad. And it could have turned into a really bad uh, brawl or worse. Because I believed that my family was in danger. Uh, and yes, it's true that uh, two hours from then, I was about to speak to about a thousand students about being ambassadors for Jesus. But that didn't matter at the time. That's not what I had in mind. But for me, the thought of losing my family, the thought of losing what Heather and I value so much and what we've worked so hard to build, that thought immediately sent me to a crazy place. And so I have no problem believing that I am capable of just doing some pretty evil things. And I hope you all can understand that you could too. Okay, now we are in a series called OT Talks. These are uh, old ideas worth spreading. And each week we are learning to read these Old Testament stories uh, as Christian scripture, looking, learning to read them through the lens of Jesus and seeing how they point us to the good news of the gospel. And today we're talking about the story of Cain and Abel, which is an ancient, ancient story, but is as relevant today for us uh, as I think it was for ancient Israel, who, who read it for the first time while they're waiting on the verge of the promised land. Um, this is such a big story that uh, Jordan B. Peterson, uh, he's taught at length on the story of Cain and Abel. He actually says that he, and I quote, I really think the Cain and Abel story is the most profound story I've ever read. In fact, Jordan Peterson believes that this, that in this story is embedded the key to a successful life. Now, I don't, I, I'm not going to promise you that, but I do uh, believe that if we can get to the bottom of the meaning of this story, it's really going to be able to save us a lot of heartache in life. And so the question that I'm bringing to this story is this, what is it that turns normal people violent? Okay, what could, what could do that for you? What could push you to violence or murder? That's a dark story, a dark question, I know, but it's important, you know? What could push you there? What could take you there? What could, what, what would it take? And what is it that can bring us back from that dark place? And I really believe this story tells us, and so I'd like to, us to walk through this story and understand it kind of as a series of firsts, okay? It's a series of firsts. The first, it's, for example, it's the first sibling rivalry. Uh, how many of us here know a bit about sibling, sibling rivalry? Yeah, yeah, okay. So so Cain is the firstborn, Abel's the second. But in verse two, um, it's Abel's work that is named first and Cain's work is named second. And it seems like maybe there's a bit of a rivalry or a preference, preferential treatment between them that we're actually gonna see become uh, repeated in other biblical families, um, Ishmael and Isaac. There's gonna be a, a, a tension or a rivalry between Esau and Jacob and between Joseph and his brothers, and David and his brothers, and even the prodigal son and his elder brother. And, and in this version, it begins with a shepherd, Abel, who is living free, and he has to go where the sheep go. That's his lifestyle. He's got to love his sheep. He's got to be ready to fight lions and be a warrior. And that's a very different lifestyle than Cain's, because Cain is like a good eldest son. He takes over the family business from Adam, which, and, and so he's a farmer. And as a farmer, he stays close to home, close to the land. He has his routines. He's diligent and, and you know, careful and obedient and faithful. His, his life has 
routines and fences and healthy boundaries. That's that's Cain. And, and nobody, whereas nobody knows if Abel is coming or going, Cain is a good old boy, and uh, he's home in time to watch Downton Abbey with mom and dad every night. Okay, that's Cain. Um, early on, before they've even said anything, we can already see in the story the seeds of conflict are already there. Okay, so it's the first sibling rivalry. It's also the first sermon because Cain comes up with an idea. His idea is, I'm going to make an offering. Now, an offering is not sacrifice. Okay, sacrifice is about atonement, atonement for sin, but an offering is a way that you show thanks and, and worship to God. Okay, an offering is a sermon acted out. It's a ser- an offering preaches. You know, an offering says, God, you deserve this. I love you this much. And so in verse 3, Cain offers some of the land's produce. And in verse 4, what Abel offers is some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And Abel's offering is well received by God. But in verse 5, we read that God did not have regard for Cain and his offering. So that's got to be awkward, eh? Um, Like I've heard sermons that landed poorly. Um, I've heard awkward sermons and felt bad for the preacher. I've preached awkward sermons and, and felt bad for the preacher. Um, but here's God himself basically saying, uh, you know what, Cain, thanks, but uh, we got this from here. Me, me and uh, Abel, we got this. That is really, that's tough. Eh? That's awkward. Like that is next level awkward. But that's the first sermon. And this series or this story give us, gives us the first murder as well. It gives us the first sibling rivalry, the first sermon and the first murder. Because in verse 8, Cain is overcome with jealousy. He's overcome with rage. And then in verse 6, God asks him, hey, what is the deal? Why are you so furious? Like, this was your idea. This offering was your idea. How did you think that this was going to go when you just offered some of the produce of the land? And God's point is that Cain doesn't understand how sin works. God pictures it almost like an animal uh, in heat, eh? like kind of waiting at the door. And if Cain opens the door... The animal's going to come in and it's going to have its way with him. And so, Cain, you got to do what's right. You got to resist temptation. Don't let the beast in. You got to, you got to tame it. You got to get it under control. And this is like a teachable moment for Cain. Okay. In fact, God promises that there is a way for Cain to be accepted. You know, like there is, there is hope for you, Cain. It's not too late. But it's like that's his breaking point. It's, you know, he, he comes to this, comes to feel like his best isn't good enough. Maybe God's not fair. And, uh, and it was his idea. It was his, this, this sacrifice, this sermon, this off, or this offering was his idea, but it was Abel who got the blessing. And everybody's happy now but him. And God doesn't care. And, and I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But just so you know, when you believe that everybody's turned against you and you believe that God is not fair, you can justify just about anything in order to get your honor back. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. So verse 8, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. You know, when the ancient rabbis would tell these stories, they would sometimes fill in the gaps with their own interpretations. And, and this was called Midrash. Uh, in the Midrash for this story, uh, one of the retellings, Cain kills Abel, not in order to get revenge against Abel, but in order to get revenge against God. And in that version of the story, Cain says, I killed him because you created in me the evil inclination. But you, God, you are the keeper of all things. Why did you allow me to kill him? 
You are the one who killed him, for if you had accepted my sacrifice as you did his, I wouldn't have been jealous of him. Now, I know that that is not inspired scripture, but it does show some of what the, you know, some of the ways that people understood this story and ways that people understood, what people understood was going on in Cain's head. I, I'm angry, I'm jealous, and I can't kill God, but I can punish him and I can kill the one he loves. And then he's going to have no choice. Then he'll have to love me because I'll be the only one left. Now, does that sound crazy? Or does that sound like something that you are capable of saying? Yeah, of course, you, of course you could. Under the right circumstances, of course you could. I know I could. And so, yeah, we have here the first murder. But we also, in this story, we have the first lie. You see, Cain lies to God. God asks, where's Abel? And, and Cain says, I don't know. And it's not my job to know because he's not my responsibility. Like, am I, am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Some versions say. Like, Cain believes it's not his responsibility. That's actually not true. It's a, it's a lie. It's cruel. Because he does know where Abel is. Abel is lying on the ground in the field. And part of what strikes us about this story is that as brothers, Cain and Abel, they share a connection. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you, this is not hard to, for us to get inside. Like we, we expect brothers to have each other's backs in a way that is different from the way that neighbors have each other's backs or the ways that acquaintances or coworkers have each other's backs. And so Cain lies, not just to cover up what he's done, but he lies because he wants to wash his hands of Abel completely. And that's how bad this has gotten. So we see the first lie, but we also see, interesting, the first prayer. We see the first prayer. We see in verses 10 to 15, here's, here's how evil this thing is, okay? God says to him, your brother's blood cries out. And, and it sort of parallels the sin of Adam and Eve because here you have a curse. Cain's a farmer. He depends on the earth. But now that, now that the earth is stained with Abel's blood, uh, God says the earth will never again give you its yield. So now he's, now he's homeless. Now he's going to wander the earth. And Cain pleads with God. He prays, you know, because this is like a death sentence. Please don't let this be because whoever finds me will kill me. And, and that's a prayer for mercy. And God uh, answers him because in verse 15, he puts a, a mark. And we don't know what that is, but God puts some kind of a mark on, of protection on Cain so that he will not be killed. And he's going to head out east and he's going to end up building a city. So there's a lot of firsts in this story. And, and there's a lot of lessons for, for us, uh, as a matter of fact. There's a lot. If you were, imagine being Israel, this story's just been written down for you now as you are, um, you know, it's been written down for the first time as you're here on the verge of the promised land. And, and there's some important lessons that, that Moses wants you to hear as, it's, as, it's, as he's sharing it with you. Uh, one of those lessons is that God deserves our best. He deserves our best. Like you probably wonder, why did God accept Abel's offering, but not Cain's? That's a, that's a good question. So Jordan Peterson suggests that there might actually be no reason. He says, there are people who seem to struggle and still have one catastrophe after another happen to them. There's no easy answer in this story. Well, you can fall afoul of God because your sacrifices are second rate, or you can just fall afoul of God and you don't know why. Well, tough luck for you. In other words, Cain's best wasn't good enough. Well, it happens. That's just the deal. 
and and Kane, you got to deal with it. That your your best is just not good enough. I don't think that's what's going on in this story. I think the problem with Kane is that is the manner in which he made his offering. And so, like in Hebrews, we learn in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse four, that by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Uh, and even though he's dead, he still speaks through his faith. Uh, notice God didn't ask Cain for an offering in the first place. Okay, like that was Cain's idea. That's that's an important that's an important detail. Um, Abel goes. Okay, God, here is my finest, fattest lamb. Uh, I could take this lamb. I could breed it. I could, you know, I could have other sheep through this lamb. But, but God, you deserve the best. That's Abel's offering, and that's faith. That's that's faith. That's and I think that that's what we are being told in Hebrews 11 here. But but Cain isn't offering a better offering. Cain says, "Here, God, I have here's here's the leftovers that I had in the fridge of some of the salad I made yesterday, and 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 here's." So here's what I whip together. Um, and, and this matters. This matters because when this story is written down for the first time, Israel is about to receive instructions about worship. And it's like God wants us to know, yeah, you know what? You can you can go through the motions of an offering, but that doesn't make it worship. That doesn't make it acceptable worship. Like getting the form right isn't what makes for acceptable worship. That's, it, it is worship, actually, when it is heartfelt and when it is costly and when it matters to you because God deserves our best. OK, so that's an important lesson from this story. God deserves our best. Another lesson is this. We need to get sin under control. All right. And, you know, that's true. As Israel moves into the promised land, it's like we're going to be surrounded by these Canaanites who've lived here for centuries and their art is better. Their homes are better. Their clothing and their food and their music and their tools, it's all far more refined and, and progressive than ours because they've been here for centuries. And it's going to be really easy for us to covet what they've got. You know, it's going to be really easy for us to wallow in self-pity and jealousy and bitterness because they've got all these nice things. And we are wanderers here in this promised land. And, uh, you know, there is nothing wrong with wanting nice things. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with want, having a nice house, having a nice family. Um, but if, if not having these things would make you curse God and hurt him back, that is not a good place to be. OK, like when you are when you are that jealous and bitter that you are liable to do something really, really messed up, that is not a good place to be. So the lesson here is don't fall into that trap. OK. Don't fall into that trap. You can't sin away your sin. It has to be mastered. It has to be gotten under control because it'll only get worse and worse and worse. Okay, so we need to learn the lesson that we need to get sin under control. And then a, a third lesson is that we we actually are our brother's keeper. We actually are our brother's keeper. You know, as Israel grows, so will grow our responsibility for one another. And, and once you've decided that you are not responsible for your brother's good, you can justify all sorts of selfish and, and evil things. You know, you know that. If you think that your brother has no right to ask anything of you, that's not a good place to be. If you think that your brother has no more right to expect anything of you than a stranger does, that is, that's a bad scene. 
That's not a good place to be. And, and, and that doesn't turn out well, okay? Like bad things happen when we decide that we are not our brother's keeper because we are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's guardian and our sister's guardian. And God wants us to know that what happens to one of us affects us all, okay? The closer we are, the greater the effect. The closer we are, the greater the effect. And so the thing is, yeah, there are some really important warnings in this story. God deserves our best. We are, we need to be warned to get our sin under control and we need to be warned that we are our brother's keeper. And these are true and they are as relevant for us today as they were for ancient Israel. And you know what? You don't need to be a Christian to believe any of that. All right. Sorry. You don't need to be a Christian to believe that you are your brother's keeper and that we need to get sin under control and that we and that God deserves our best. Of course, of course, you know that. And of course, you don't need to be a Christian to believe those things. It's just it's so easy for us to forget. This is Christian scripture. And so we're not just going to moralize and take these lessons and, and extract those apart from Jesus. We need to figure out what is this? What is it that God wants us to hear in light of Jesus? And I actually think this story preaches the gospel to our jealousy problem. It actually preaches the gospel to our jealousy problem. Check it out. Um, I think that it changes how we think about justice. Okay, let's read this. Let's look at this story one more, one last time through the lens of Jesus and learn to look at it like Christians. Because I think fundamentally, I think fundamentally the issue is that Cain thinks that God is unjust. Cain thinks that God has betrayed him. All right. Full stop. God is unjust. God has God has betrayed Cain, really. So the world is unfair. God has turned against him. And if that's what you believe, what wouldn't you do to make it right? If, if you believed everybody else around you has the life that you think you deserve, what wouldn't you do? Wouldn't you gossip? Wouldn't you lie? Wouldn't you slander or, or steal? Would you not commit adultery or murder? Of course you would. Of course you would. Cain isn't crazy, guys. He, he wants justice. At least he wants justice as, as he understands it. And the thing is, what he did isn't justice. Cain didn't do justice. And if you noticed, Abel doesn't get justice because the story says that his blood cries out. His, his blood actually cries out for justice. But God doesn't punish Cain. Cain receives mercy. That means that the cries of Abel's blood for justice go unanswered in this story. That's not justice. Justice doesn't come in this story. Not here. Not until many, many, many years later. Along comes another son of Adam. Uh, not a jealous son, but a righteous son. Jesus Christ, who obeyed his entire life long. And, you know, he was murdered too. And in Hebrews 12, uh, we read that uh, Jesus' blood cries out and says uh, better things than the blood of Abel. You know, Jesus offers himself. And, and, and so there's Abel. And there's Abel's blood uh, crying out with the problem, crying out for justice. And here's Jesus' blood answering mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation. You know, Jesus' blood crying out for, for better things, adoption, new life, peace, healing. And that is that's good news. You know, if Jesus if Jesus is an acceptable offering, then that means that justice isn't my job now. You know, righting all the world's wrongs isn't my job. 
And when that guy cuts me off and is about to back over my family, I actually don't need to pound him in order to show him that I love my kids. You see, Christianity says that one of two things is going to happen with every evil act that's ever been perpetrated. On uh, One, either Jesus suffered for that evil act on the cross and it's forgiven. Okay? And, and if so, if it is forgiven, we don't want to go around punishing people for sins that God has already chose to forgive, right? To forgive, right? Um, on the other side, the, the alternative is that that person who hurt you, the person who refuses to make it right, will suffer separation from God for it. And if that's what's going to happen, what do I think that I can add to that? Like, am I really going to improve on God's justice? Can I really make that, make it worse for that person? And it's like, no, of course I can't. Like, once you know that there will be perfect justice, you actually don't need to take care of it yourself. And that is pretty good news, if you ask me. I, I can actually trust God with that. You know, I can trust God to dish out justice because God loves us after all. Notice, when Cain's jealousy first appears, God makes a promise. Okay, verse 7, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. And so Cain has a choice. But he's so jealous for God's approval that he has to take out the competition. Like, well, once Abel's gone, God's going to have no choice. He'll have to love me. He'll have to accept me. And, 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 you know, maybe that sounds crazy to you. But think about it. How much energy in your life so far has been spent trying to get people to love you and to respect you more than they already do? How much effort in your life have you put into making people proud of you? I bet a lot. I bet that the desire to make people proud of you has caused you to make some decisions in your life you probably wouldn't have made anyway. Am I right? And suppose it didn't work. Like suppose they weren't proud of you after all. Suppose your your spouse or your kids, suppose your parents or your boss or your siblings, suppose they are more impressed with somebody else. How far would you go to prove that you deserve the love and the respect and the attention that they're giving to somebody else. What wouldn't you do in that situation? Don't you see, like any of us can be a king because all of us deserve to be loved and none of us is loved in the ways that we deserve to be. Not all the time. None of us is loved in the ways that we deserve to be, not by people. And so we're going to make all kinds of mistakes trying to earn love from other people. And Christianity says, the good news says, God didn't need to be conned into loving you and into accepting you. And that's really good news. God is not out to get you. God loves you. In fact, God couldn't love you any more than he already does. And that means that if you are suffering or if you lack something that you wanted, uh, that now you know that whatever the reason is that you lack it, it is not because God is mad at you. God has shown us how he feels about us by sending Jesus. That's how he loved you. That's how he loved you. and That's how loved you are. Okay? A lot. You want to know how much God loves you? You look at the cross. He held nothing back. He gave us his best. Once you know how loved you are by God, you know, you know that God hasn't forgotten to take care of you. He's not forgotten you. He's not deprived you of some important thing that you need. 
Okay, nobody ended up with the blessing God owed you by mistake. He didn't misplace it and give it over to somebody that you give it over to somebody else instead of you. Okay, God didn't mess up. And I think that's really good news. I think that we need to hear that. I think that when I feel threatened, when I when I believe that I stand to lose something that I care about, something that I've worked hard for, something that matters to me, I know that I'm going to I'm prepared to do almost anything to keep it. And this story shows that if God's grace has really landed, if it has really sunk all the way down, then I can't possibly be controlled by jealousy or fear or pride. We don't have to follow the way of Cain. We can follow the way of Jesus. And and and, and that, it seems to me, is an idea worth spreading. Thank you for listening.